0: The Weekly Argyle Podcast, brought to you by Plymouth Live Sports Desk. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Argyle Chat. Joining me today is our podcast regular, Chris Errington. Hi, Chris. How's you doing? And a very warm welcome to our special guest, Danny Selman. Hi, Hi guys. Danny. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm Thanks for good. joining us, Danny. My pleasure. Not a problem. have got an important week coming up for Argyle. Bristol Rovers
1: at Home Park uh-huh. next Saturday. So, um, yeah. lots,
0: lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. Indeed. Well, let's crack on. Um, what have you made of 2019 for Argyle so far, Danny? Obviously, you started in the bottom, at the bottom of the table and have, have risen up to 12th, but still only three points off that relegation zone
2: i mean the the emotional roller coaster that we I mean, we all go through supporters go through the team goes through is incredible over the last couple of years and you know from where we were um, at the start like last season to where we are now uh, a lot better but obviously there's a slight difference in regards um you know the gap between us and uh, uh, safety so uh, yeah, It's been a bit of a roller coaster, but uh, it's never a, a not interesting at Plymouth Argyle, is it? <laughs> no, that's
0: so. that's for sure. And it certainly wasn't uh, an interesting up at Fleetwood on Saturday, Chris. Yes. Is I think it's safe to say you've just about dried out,
1: yes. Yeah, it was uh, not one of the, the best days I've had covering Argyle, not just because of the, the result, but uh, um, I, I admire everyone that went up there the green army that traveled up there it's a long way to Fleetwood at the best of the times and the weather was atrocious um Fleetwood if you've not been there before it's just up the coast from Blackpool it's it's right on the that the Irish Sea coast the wind was howling in off the sea the rain was driving in um fortunately there's a covered uh terrace behind one of the goals so the Argyle fans on the terrace were able to Huddle in at the back of that and hopefully stay dry. But it was cold, damp, miserable, wet. And I could bore you with my <laughs> tales of my laptop getting drenched and um, you know making life very difficult. But yeah, it, it was one of those uh, days where it wasn't very nice for anybody. The wind was absolutely howling and- uh, Well, you were saying 70 mile an hour gusts. They, they, they so said it's... the forecast was 70 mile an hour gusts at, at the three o'clock kickoff. The rain in the first half was pretty heavy. It, it eased up in the second half. Remarkably the pitch played extremely well. There was no problems with the pitch at all. It was more the the wind and the and the damp and the cold and it it was it was it was not not pleasant at all. It didn't make for a great spectacle at all. Um Derek Adams made the point afterwards that he didn't think football should be played in conditions like that. And I know what he means, but you know you, you can't really call a game off because it's too windy, can you? It's no. it's um I don't think he was really uh, I think he was trying to make the point that it it didn't make for a great game to watch it was it It was scrappy, you know the balls you know placed in the corner quadrant, and before the players had the chance to take it, it's blown away you know it's all those sort of things you know the crosses come in, and the balls swimming swinging here there and everywhere. You know, it must be horrible to play in, Danny. I mean, you know, you've got any experience? Can you think of any I games like that?
2: Loads. Yeah. I can honestly, the, the, the worst wind wise, mm. we played at Birmingham and the winds were gusting more than 70 miles an hour. Mm. They actually had a weather, weather warning and there were bits of the roofing at Birmingham coming off onto the pitch. <laughs> um, and it's the first time I actually saw the goalkeeper kick the ball out and he, cu- he almost caught it back. That's how bad it was. It was a nil-nil draw. It was the absolutely worst game in the world. Um, it was no fun at all for anybody, and it, it was that bad. So I can totally understand um, supporters, players at Fleetwood. I've played in mud. I've played in, um, at Wigan. They snowed, and underneath the pitch was frozen. So they said, leave the snow. We'll play with an orange ball. So we played 90 minutes with an orange ball on snow. that was compacted, nil-nil again, Mm. but you know, so there were many, many occasions um, and you know, sometimes you got, I mean, I haven't played at Colchester on a frozen pitch and we had to play in trainers. Um, Not great, Uh, we ended up winning that game, I think, if I remember rightly, Um, but it isn't pleasant, it isn't pleasant for anybody to play in conditions like that, but more likely in our day, we were playing in any conditions. Um, and the pitches were much worse in those the, the, yeah. there, was,
1: there was nothing wrong with the, with the pitch no. at all um, oh, on, really? on Saturday and it was just a shame because you know Fleetwood have got some good attacking players Argyle have got some good attacking players you, you yeah. felt like you could have had a decent game of football yeah. uh, and in the end it, it was a bit of a scrap and a slog and um, Fleetwood deserved to win You know, in the second half they had the better chances I don't think anyone would argue with that that on their second half chances they deserved to win the game but you, you did feel that you know, to to pay your money to watch a game of football like that. It was yeah, it, it yeah. felt like it was just petering out until nil nil and then Fleet got a goal because our goal switched off at the back and then another one soon afterwards and the game was gone. So um,
0: I think it's worth pointing out as well, Derek Adams didn't use that as an excuse, no, no, did he? He was very no, 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 adamant no. that Fleet would deserve to win yeah. and it was, you know, it's it, just it, it was his just opinion really, wasn't it?
1: Just it wasn't a great game of football to watch. You know, we were sat there, you know, in the main stand and you... You've got your coat and your scarf and your hat and the wind is driving into your face, the rain's pouring in, <laughs> you know, you're huddled up, you know, it, it, you know and, but that's English football for you. I Unfortunately,
2: we've got to accept that that's the way it is here. We've
1: probably gone a bit soft over the years. Yes, because, but, yeah. I mean, if Danny says about some bits of sand absolutely, blowing yeah, off yeah. can yeah. you imagine now? I mean, the game would be called <laughs> off immediately you from absolutely. health and safety. Well,
2: one, of the pitches are a lot better. The conditions have never been good when I played and we played in all sorts of weather. it's not a problem in the sense that you know I'm not saying it was worse in my day it's always been there the Mm. condition of the pitches make a big difference Mm. but unfortunately when you walk onto a pitch sometimes it equals itself out Mm. because if you're playing really well and winning football matches and the conditions are not suited to the way you play then you end up not doing as probably as well as you can do and that's the disappointment, but ultimately you just got to get on with it. There's nothing else you can do. It's
1: it's the old cliche, isn't it? Yeah. Same for both sides. You just yeah. got to make the it best of the it. Play the conditions. Yeah. That's yeah. all you you can yeah. do. And I think in the second half, certainly, Fleetwood did that better. Yeah. So it was a disappointing result. I wouldn't be too despondent about it. It wasn't a typical game. You know, uh, get Argyle back at home park on a good pitch, and hopefully the weather's a bit calmer. And you know, I, I don't see it as being too big a deal, although. The way the league table is looking at the moment, it's just
0: ridiculous. Isn't it's it? crazy. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I mean, Argyle in twelfth, mm. Bradford twenty fourth, nine points between those two teams, and as we say, Argyle in the top half of the table,
2: but only three points outside the relegation zone. I've never known anything like it, and and every single point between now and the end of the season becomes valuable. Um, so you're going to look back at draws that we had, and and other teams that people might have just nick the result and lost. Um, it is something that I, I just don't think you're going to get this sort of thing happening on a regular basis. To be 12th and we three make, points eight games together. I, I mean, exactly. I, it's incredible. Mm. And the, the one thing is, is that there's so many teams between us and that position mm. that not every team between us and mm. the fourth from bottom are going to win football matches. So in that sense, you know, you, the gap may it may look a little bit false. Uh, in regards point yeah. wise, but I is, know what you mean. But then, because it's only three points, it's only one win, isn't it? Exactly. You know? And, and you're, you're wondering how many of those teams below. Listen, you, you can't predict it, and you ain't going to call it right this moment in time. Between, it's almost like nine games to go, eight games to go, eight games to yeah. go. You're going to say to yourself, "Let's make it an eight game season." Yeah, yeah. From this moment, it's mm. oh, everyone's on nil. Yeah, and we got we've got eight games to either survive. Or get, going, get yeah. into trouble And I think that I that's mean there's 13 teams at. And 4
1: yep. relegation spots And you know you're, and a brave about, ma- you're a brave man If you pick any of them Because it, it literally could. Any of them could be there And well, how, how, how big was that Argyle win Against Shrewsby last Tuesday Massive Danny? When you look back massive. You know if that had finished As a 1-1 draw And then they'd gone to Fleetwood well, I know ifs, buts and maybes But you take those 2 points yeah. off That Argyle got from Carey's 18 penalty Maybe be one point outside exactly. the relegation but so, we, did, so,
2: we did say that yeah. before the game started yeah. it was a huge game in the context of the season yeah. at that moment so yeah. it just goes to prove that uh, you know we haven't had always the luck that we probably deserve sometimes but you know I think we deserved that win. I think you know we got the penalty, and we we did not play well in the second half. But that last ten fifteen minutes, we had a couple of opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, on a couple of occasions, and and that sort of thing. And, and the penalty was just so it was a terrific uh, three points to get. Yeah, yeah. it's
0: going. It's, I mean, it's going to yeah. be fascinating because everyone's got to play each other as well. You know, yeah. I was looking at the fixtures yesterday and Wimbledon, who have been on this incredible run to get out of trouble, yeah. well, or n- get close to getting yeah. out of trouble. Seven of their last eight games are against teams from Argyle yeah. downwards. So, And Argyle have got a bit of a mix. They've got I think yeah. four of their last eight games are against
1: teams below them in the table. So clearly those are mm. key games in terms of just what Danny said. Not only are you taking points if you win, but you're stopping the teams below you from, uh, yeah. from getting above you. But they have got some, some, some tougher games as well, as you would imagine. They've got Charlton and Barnsley both at home who are, yeah. who are both going for, for the playoffs. If, if not automatic promotion Barnsley is certainly going for automatic promotion they've got uh, Doncaster Rovers yeah, away yeah, as yeah. well who are yeah. up and around the playoff places so, um, but every team's going to have tough games none. because there's so many teams in the mix you know, there isn't an easy game there is no. there is not going to be an easy game where you no. can say oh, we're going to turn up today and we're
0: guaranteed three points yeah like we said it's an eight game season yeah it literally is the top half of the table or sort of 11th and above are chasing those playoff plays or promotion mm-hmm. and the rest season. of them uh, yeah. rest of fighting relegation oh, no. it's, it's. i've it's never seen anything, anything like, like it. it no i haven't it's so um we've got a question from richard sloman just moving away from the relegation Um, scrap and talk more sort of tactics Um, a lot gets discussed about Derek Adams and his various formations things like that Richard wants to know Danny if you ever switch between a back four and a back five during a game and how difficult it is to adjust and what are the pros and cons of each formation
2: Um, yes I have uh, on many occasions uh, to be honest with you Um, most of the time players adapt pretty quickly Um, you know me personally I've played every position on a football field uh, except goalkeeper. Funny <laughs> enough. Um, and you during training, you play different uh, formations, and and you know the positions that you're playing, and you get instructions. So uh, it really does depend on the players around you, because you know I can easily just sit here and go, yeah, we've changed. And as a as a footballer, I know my job. You know, if I'm playing in a back a three, I know my job. If I'm playing as a, a wing back in a in a five in midfield, I know my job. Um, so adapting and I think it's very important for people to understand um, That really don't understand football as well is that when things are going well in a football game and a football match It's easy for a manager and a coach you sit there and it's going well we're scoring goals and it looks pretty you can sit back When it's not going well You've got to be able to see what the problem is and try to do something about it Because if you do not if you keep plodding on the same way and end up petering out to a 1-0 defeat or 2-0 defeat, people are going to go, well, we never changed anything. So that's the one thing Derek Adams from day one when he came, the, one, the difference between him and someone like John Sheridan, I remember, would, he changed these things, he thinks things are not working, he'll make a difference. And you have to do that in football, and, some, and it might not work. It may be on the day that the opposition are better than you and it just doesn't work. Um, so it's very, very important though when things are not going well that you've got somebody that knows how to try and adapt, knows the players that he can use to adapt those positions. Sometimes it actually works. You know, we've we've gone. I mean, against Luton, we changed three times during the game. You know, we ended up with an individual. Things weren't working at, at certain times, and he, he makes he makes changes. And at Shrewsbury, I think we did the same. So it, it's very important that so people understand that. Yeah, I think players, it's not as complicated as what people think it is. But also, it is important that you do try these things as well. Mm. He does seem to have
0: this set, almost like a style, I guess, of playing with one up front, though, doesn't he? He does seem to like that lone striker. He
1: doesn't vary much from the from the central striker. It's just how you go about doing it. And that's why the 4 the 2 ones worked out quite well, because it allows the central striker not be in theory he shouldn't be too isolated because you've got Carey, Demirez and Sasevic all attacking players yeah. in and around him so it's, it's very rare that he doesn't have the central striker I mean I think Richard maybe asked the question because against Shrewsbury last Tuesday Derek Adams switched to uh, five at the back or three central centre-backs in the second half and it immediately was obvious that it wasn't working very no. well with Zian Songa going into the back three and Derek Adams then ended up changing it again and going back to the and to well, the flat back then, four and it's, yeah. it's interesting that you know when you try it's you you, you have had to have done some work in training won't you Danny to be able you, you can't just do that on the fly no you, you can't
2: the, the one thing if you're playing a back three if you're the opposition yeah. and you've got mobile forwards you say channels hmm. get in behind full backs and split the centre halves that's exactly what they did. Mm. And that's why it wasn't working, mm. because we're not the quickest at the back. No. And that was what, if I was the opposition, I'd be saying, look, mm. let's get down the channels, let's get in behind them, and that's what I would do. The one thing I will say about the 4 two, three, one is that, yes, it suits us, especially when you're at home. The one problem you've got is, if we haven't got a lot of the ball, you do get isolated up front. And if we do get the ball forward, and we haven't got the three midfield players joining up quickly no. enough, and you haven't got somebody who can hold on to the ball and keep the ball until you get support. You're going to lose possession quickly and you're going to get you further and further back. And that's what happens a lot at home, and, uh, away from home.
1: And that's what exactly what happens at Sunderland. Yes. That's exactly what happened at yeah. Sunderland. Carey the, the and Ramirez were, were deep. Were too deep. And, yeah. you know, the, the stage and the opposition and everything like that and Freddie Ladipo was was totally isolated and that was one of the reasons Argyle didn't really create many chances in that game at all so that is the downside. At home, when Argyle are on the front foot, when Kerry and Lemire are getting on the ball, they're buzzing around, they're interchanging positions, they're both on the left one time then they're both on the right then they're playing off, that's when the system works well. It's... Paul Sturrock always used to play two different formations, you know,
0: home and away. Uh, yeah. Many years ago, Stevie Adams always used to come yeah. in for away games, didn't he? Exactly. So, you, know, it, like, you, uh,
2: you so it is. But it is you've got to trust the two yeah. holding midfield players. That's why the three in front have got to be a little bit more, you know, positive, because if you've got your two holding midfield players that can do their job and split, hmm. the three have got to be up closer to the front men. And sometimes when you're under pressure psychologically the wide players like lamiris and like Kerry, drop a bit too yes. deep to protect yeah. and it, it, it is a, a subconscious thing and we've got to guard against that because then you end up with four defenders, two holding players and two wide players mm. all defending yeah. and then you've got no way that you can get forward early enough to go and support so it's very very important that you, know, you trust the two holding midfield players to do their job and creative players to be in a position to help the front yeah. And you know if you've got a, a lone striker with two big belly centre halves I can't get hold of the ball, then. And, and Freddie, to be honest with him, is not the greatest at playing a holding up role. He plays channels. Yeah. He gets the ball, plays it, and spins in behind. That's what he's good at. If you're asking him to hold the ball up against two big centre halves, that's
1: Ryan Taylor's
2: job. Exactly. Yeah, that's and what Ryan that,
1: Taylor did,
2: exactly. but he didn't. He has he got the pace to go in behind. To run in behind, exactly. so you. you you, lose one, gain another. Correct, yeah. and, and, and at home, it's great. Away from home, it, 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 you've got to say to yourself, listen, we cannot drop too deep, we cannot be too defensive if you're going to have Freddie playing up front.
1: Freddie Larrabeau's got 16 goals this season, 14 at home. Yeah. I suspect... The 14 at home, because Arbel can play to his strength, Absolutely. You know, the balls in the channels. Away from home, when they're under pressure, they're yeah. playing counter attacking, and they're needing him to be a, the hold up type player that Ryan Taylor is, it doesn't naturally suit him. And that might well explain why he's got 14 goals at home and two away from home.
2: Well, it does explain it, and it ain't rocket science. Mm. It, it's there to see, and, and as footballers, we know that, and Freddie knows that too. Mm. One thing he's got to do, though, he's got to learn. He's a big lad. Mm. You know, and he's got to learn to be a bit more robust up front against big fellas. Pick, get some fouls, get in front of people, and make sure that you give your midfield players and your back four time to push up and support you. Mm.
0: Taking into account what you say there, then Chris, with uh, Ryan Taylor, is there a case there? I mean, it'd be a controversial mm. one, but for Ryan to come in and play away games and keep Freddie on the bench, or, or just use him at home? There's,
1: there's a case there, um, but I think you'd be a brave manager to leave out a striker who's got you 16 goals. So should say only two have come away. Well, absolutely, so. yeah. But I suppose you're going on the fact that if he does get chances, he's proven this season that he can take them. Ryan Taylor's done a great job for Ibel over the last couple of years. He hasn't had a lot of football this season. Um I would be I me personally, I stick with Freddie Ladipo. He's he's got lots of goals and he'll be he'll be playing with a, an amount of confidence. But I think I agree with Danny that maybe Freddie's just got the impose himself a little bit more, he isn't a slight striker, he has got a good physical build about him, he's got to maybe try and uh, hold up, hold up those players, and I agree again with Danny that it's important that Kerry and Mires don't get too far detached from him, and in a way, James i have maybe got to take a little bit more of a, a, of a sort of positive approach in terms of getting those two players in particular around him, and uh, so you'd be getting an attacking three, because as Danny says, if, if you're playing with Four at the back and two holding players. That's six defensive-minded yeah. players. That, that should be more than enough. Yeah. You know, as long as the others are doing a reasonable shift of tracking up and down and what mm-hmm. have you, um, six defensive players, four attacking players, and you know you, you can hopefully get some decent results. But uh, there's there's a case, and you know I know Argel fans have been debating it. You know, should Ryan Taylor come in? Should he start up front with Labepo? Should he start up front on his own for away games? Um, there is a there's a there's a case and a, an argument to be had on that, but you know I think the problem with Ladepo not getting many goals away from home is that he hasn't had that many chances, and that's perhaps because the team are not um, close enough to him a lot of the time.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, welcome back to the second part of the podcast. Uh, we're just going to move away from football matters, or not entirely from football matters, but uh, moving into the boardroom. Mm-hmm. Chris, a new chief executive, Andrew Parkinson. Um, he's already quite well known at home park, isn't he? Yes,
1: this is an interesting appointment by, by Argyle. Andrew Parkinson is going to take over from Michael Dunford at the end of the season. May the 4th, they have actually said, which is the final day of the season. Uh, Michael Dunford uh, was brought in last summer after Martin Starnes left. Uh, and it turns out that um, Michael has a contract to the end of July. Uh, and although he will no longer be the chief executive, he's going to remain uh, as vice chairman of the football club, which is a, a, an interesting appointment because when you consider that the chairman is Simon Hallett and he is based in the United States, um, the vice chairman of the football club when the chairman's in the United States is quite an important role. So that's certainly um, you know a a prestigious position for Michael Dunford to be uh, to be taking on. Andrew Parkinson. I've done a profile piece on him, so if you want to know all about him, look on the, uh, the our Plymouth Live website and it tells you all about him. I suppose the key line is that he was the operations director at Liverpool Football Club for six years. Now, my my guess would be that you're, you're not an operations director at a massive football club like that for that length of time without being very good at that particular job. He's had various other roles um, around and about. He was brought in by Argyle in December to head up there the hospitality side of the new grandstand redevelopment. So all the work that's going on in terms of um, preparing for the, the, the conferencing and banqueting facilities and the selling of it, because we've seen Argyle have started promoting the various offers that they will have for supporters and, and businesses when it opens. That's um, where Andrew Parkinson's uh, expertise has has lied in the past, but now he's going to, uh, to take on the chief executive role, which any football club these days is extremely important. The chief executive has to work well with the manager, um, so it's a fascinating um, appointment, um, and we'll see how that develops. I, I believe there was a possibility that, that Andrew Parkinson might have been uh, looked at as a possible chief executive last summer. Uh, it didn't happen. Um, he was then brought in, as I say, in December, and now he's going to step in and, and take over in May. So. Uh, it'll be uh, we haven't had a chance to speak to him yet um, hopefully hopefully in the the near future we will, and his relationship with the manager Derek Adams, you know chief executive football club, Danny I mean the manager and the chief executive in football these days uh, is a really important
2: relationship at any football club isn't it yeah, it never used to be i mean mm. what happened behind the scenes really wasn't relevant to managers and players, um, but nowadays the way football is mm. i think Players aside, they still just get on with doing their job, mm. but when it comes to the manager, it, it's become an important part of it. Mm. And I think that um, you know, we, we must be able to evolve as a manager and coaches um, with the new way of doing things. And sometimes it's difficult for the older managers, but right now uh, that, that relationship will be very, very important because mm. they both have to be singing off the same hymn machine. Mm. Um, and it's very important moving forward that they trust each other. And I think that it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens. But his background is is very good. His CV is excellent. Um, let's just hope that uh, you know away from the football world, behind the scenes, we start to to reorganise and make sure that we've got a bit more consistency back there. Mm. Well, it will certainly be interesting,
0: as you say, coming from Liverpool, what he brings mm. to our guard. Um, Danny, you do a lot of work in basketball. Um, we've got a question here from Dave McCartney. He's saying, as someone who now spends a lot of time around the world of basketball, is there anything that you think?
2: Um, basketball could bring to football? Well, it, it, it's a very difficult thing. I mean, if you just go by Plymouth Raiders, just for instance, and other basketball teams that I know that are similar to Plymouth, Plymouth Raiders, the, 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 the money is, is an issue. Um, the fact that their contracts are very short, usually it's one-year contracts that players have. Either party, player, club, can get rid of that contract almost immediately, if they can. Football, you know, people, you know, support sometimes moan that player comes in, got three year contract, he doesn't play well, but he's to be paid whatever happens, you know, and basketball in that world, it doesn't happen like that. If a player comes in and doesn't do well, the club can say, see you later. And if the player's not enjoying it, he can say, I'm off. Whether that will ever happen in football, I don't know. I don't think that it will. Um, there is a case to be said that sometimes in the lower level, when it comes to money, that maybe give managers one-year rolling contracts and give players one-year rolling contracts. And then, you know, it doesn't cost a fortune if things don't work out. Um, whether that's realistic in football, I don't know. But there isn't many things that uh, basketball can, can show. Football, it's, it's two different sports. Yes. but maybe there's areas that maybe the lower leagues can look at.
0: Yeah, I think the footballers, they're they're regarded as assets, aren't they, to the clubs as well? Mm. That's probably not the case in No, and basketball,
2: basketball, people edge their bets with basketball. They don't look at a player and think, well, I've got all this money, let's get him on a three-year contract, Mm. and if he does leave, then we're going to get money for him. It doesn't happen in basketball. In this country, basketball is not big. It should be. It's a very well-looked-at sport. It's very well, uh, a lot of people play the game but it's not run to the extent the way other countries run it and, and there's not a lot that much money in basketball. And the, those basketball teams that do well are normally funded very well. That's why they're successful. But the other, t- you know, the re- most of them, I would say probably 85%, 90% of basketball clubs are running on a shoestring budget.
0: Yeah, well, what will be interesting is whether Andrew Parkinson uses his connections at Liverpool yes. to maybe arrange a pre-season friendly. I know it's something that Derek Adams is very keen to have this summer. Not, it's not going to be easy for him to get that Premier League opposition, though, is it, Chris? I mean, we see Premier League clubs going off all around the world in pre-season these days. Uh,
1: I think most Premier League clubs end up in Asia or yeah. Australia, don't they? Even they go, um, yeah. America is another popular destination. Yeah, I mean, I think. It's probably not many Premier League clubs that don't do one of those overseas tours, and you know, twenty years ago, you know, you could pretty much be a lower level side in England and rely on the fact you'd get a Premier League team to to come and play you or First Division as it was then. But um, it does get hard now. Yeah, we raised the issue of pre-season with Derek Adams when we saw him last Thursday, and um, he's keen to get two home games. Uh, On July the 20th and July the 27th So they've got the dates in mind The pitch is going to be ready And he wants to find Premier League Championship or foreign opposition Now, we had David Freire on the podcast A couple of weeks ago And we debated He's the Chief Scout at St Etienne Top French club So, you know, we said Well, maybe David David could use his uh, influence And, uh, you know, maybe we could fix up a game Between I'll go to and I think that would be a great idea. Whether it ever come off or not, I don't know, but that would be a would be a great game. Getting Premier League clubs to come to play you in pre season is not going to be easy because they have got other commitments. They probably get paid fairly well to do these overseas tours, and you know for them to come down to Plymouth and and play you is difficult. You know if Cardiff City are still a Premier League club, then I suspect that Neil Warnock would be more than happy to come and play um, Cardiff. Uh, against Argyle at Home Park so we'll see Um, Championship opposition you know Championship opposition would be great I think it all comes down to the fact that the last few seasons Argyle's pre-season has been perhaps a bit too lopsided towards playing too many local sides and not enough senior professional teams and uh, again it was interesting that Derek Adams said that pre-season he's planning on going overseas which he's always done you mentioned just playing one game and sometimes they've gone and played two or three games over there
0: But I think probably because th- he can get the standard of opposition that he wants man. yeah
1: exactly and the standard of opposition when they've gone overseas hasn't necessarily been the highest either so you've got to build up a pre-season you're always going to start with the, the local sides aren't you Danny that's yeah. the way it's always been isn't it yeah. but you've got to try and build it up and hopefully by having two games at home park on the 20th and the 27th of July against at least say championship opposition, Argyle will be more battle-hardened before they go into the first game yeah, of the season. I
2: think this question was raised about why we start slowly on a podcast. That I mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: we had a question from Jessica Jessica yes. Wigginton saying, what does uh, Danny think needs to change next year in order for our goal to have a good first half of the season?
2: Well, again, um, the question was asked in a podcast uh, a while ago and I actually wrote an article about it and, and I said at that time... Exactly that. That we played so many local sides, which is a great thing to do. But unfortunately, that doesn't harden you. You know, when I first came in, my first, my two preseason friendlies Arsenal and Aston Villa. You know, and it prepares you for the season. It, it makes you that little bit more aware of how difficult it's going to be. And I even said, you know, not for the first time, that if we keep playing local sides and beating them five, six, seven nil. It ain't going to prepare you for hardened games against a League One opposition. I know it's difficult nowadays to bring in Premier League sides. All you can do is ask. You can just talk to a few of them, local ones, maybe the Bournemouths, maybe the Cardiffs, maybe certain teams that may not go abroad as much. Definitely Championship sides. But that was one of the areas that you know the question was, what can we do different for our slow start? And I think that was one area that I felt that we could improve on, is to play better opposition coming towards the end of pre-season to get us ready for the season. Don't know how difficult it is, we've got to make that effort.
0: Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like Derek Adams is uh, trying to do exactly that with those, those two dates in mind. Jessica's also asking, what does Danny think Argyle's chances are of keeping Graham Kerry and Ruben Ramirez? <laughs>
2: It, it, you and know, the, the I same, should have warned you about that question I think, I think it, it's, it's difficult because that question was asked last year and the year before with Graham Kerry and and I said at the time that if I was Graham Kerry unless the club got a six figure uh, m- money for him it, it ain't worth getting rid of somebody that has been the talisman for us it doesn't make financial sense um, but it's really up to Graham Kerry as well He trusts Derek Adam. Derek Adam trusts him. He's 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 uh, you know revered here. And at his age, you've got to ask yourself this question: unless he's offered a lot of money to go somewhere else, would you go somewhere for similar money and a similar club that you don't know that you really haven't got a clue whether you're going to hit the ground running or stay at a club that you know that you performed well and you, you're going to get the, the sort of backing that Derek Adams gives you. Yeah. It's really uh, you know, up to the player at the end of the day, and it depends on the offers that come in. So right at this moment in time, I'd say that there's a good chance of keeping Graham Carey. Um, Ruben Ramirez as well, he, you know, he starts off slowly, doesn't get that many opportunities, but you know, he's been flying since New Year. He's out of contract, remember? So you know the ball is in when truly in his court, and it depends Mm. on the offers that he Mm. gets, depends on the agent that he's got, Um, and it depends on whether Derek Adams can get the backing of the board to keep these sort of players at the club, And, Mm. and that's an important factor because you saw with Sonny Bradley, he wanted to stay. Obviously, it wasn't right for him the contract that was offered. I'm not really sure the ins and outs of it. He's been offered more money. Um, more more years at, at Luton and he's made that decision to go and I think we've had one or two players that were on loan to us That have gone off somewhere else. Deer, Deer Garaga was a, a, a one in point um, you know other people are prepared to pay a lot more money for, for good players and uh, You know even we've got to look at that side of it and the board have got to look at that side of it. That can we afford not to give these players a little bit more and help Derek Adams keep the better players
0: that, that's going to be the crux of it isn't it whether he can keep both Carey and Lemire's yes. because Lemire's is probably going to want parity with of Carey now and, and why, not? Yeah. And
2: why yeah. not because the second half of the season he's been absolutely tremendous yeah. for us yeah. you know and, and they deserve to be sitting down in front of people saying this is what I'm worth to the club hmm. this is what I think I deserve and, and it's up to the club to try and help those players and if, if they're asking astronomical money and, and we cannot afford it, then I can understand it. But we have got to be very, very careful that we don't dismiss it like we have in the past because somebody wants an extra year or an extra you know little bit of money in their contract. And I yeah, and what's it
0: going to cost to replace it? Absolutely,
2: player? and that's the problem. And you don't know what you're going to get. You know what you've got with these players. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what you're going to get with people coming in, as we've already found out.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks ever so much for your questions. Finally, then, guys, um, Bristol Rovers on Saturday—another massive game in this um, relegation scrap. What a fantastic job Graham Coughlin's done, though, so, at uh, Rovers. Yeah, friend of the podcast, of course. Yeah, indeed, yeah. yeah, friend of the podcast. So, um, friend of the Green Army as well. Friend of the, the Green, Green Army. Army, yeah. I mean, but
1: he—I I tell you what, Stu, we will have no—we uh, no will no we'll show to do that. Yeah, sentiment to the Green Army on Saturday. <laughs> no, I can no, assure you, he's a—he's a winner and. Um, you know, we were looking at his managerial record before we started recording the podcast, weren't we? Um, and he's done done fantastically well. I think it was 19 games in all competitions, nine wins, four just the four, four defeats. I mean, yeah, yeah, four defeats. So he's done yeah. done brilliantly. I mean, I went up and saw him at the uh, Bristol Rovers training ground uh, about a month ago when our reserves were up there. Had a chat with him, and you know, anyone who knows Graham Coughlin knows that he's very determined, very thoughtful very, you know, strong personality. You have to be here as a manager these days, I think. You've got to really have the the courage of your convictions, stick to what you believe in, do what you think's right. He's done a brilliant job. Um, They're up to 13th in the table. They were around the relegation zone when he took over in December. Uh, It will be a very tough game for Argyle. I think Argyle are unbeaten at home since December the 22nd. Uh, but, Stu, you looked at the figures, didn't you? And you said their away form
0: was about the same, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. Of... The, they've not lost away from home since uh, Sunderland on December the 15th. So, there you go. I mean, yeah. which, well, what... was, which was Coco's first game as well. First game. So, yeah.
1: so, Argyle are unbeaten at home since December and Rovers are unbeaten away since December. So... It's got to all written it It's I'm a
2: 5-5, I, I think the one thing that you know that Dwayne Coughlin's brought to the table is stability at the back Mm -hmm. defensive stability because that's what he was good at and you'd like to think that he understands what it takes to to be difficult to beat Um, he has done terrifically well um, and did anybody doubt that he would go in there and make a difference I don't think so but how well he's done probably a little bit of a surprise to a lot of people Um, but that game in itself in the context of the season and where we both are is massive it's absolutely massive because we're one point in front you make it a four point gap between yourselves and them, and obviously it's probably half the teams below you, it will make an absolute massive difference for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm glad we're at home, I'm glad that we've got that record at home, and I think that it's gonna be a very, very interesting game. It will Come be, especially, with, you
0: know, you've got a full set of away fans coming down as well. Uh, yes, yeah, will Rovers, Rovers will have their, their full
1: allocation. I'm yeah. sure Argyle will have plenty of people out there, be another big crowd. Um, you know, it's it's oh, against Rovers. It always has the feel of a local derby, even yes. though I know Bristol's 120 miles up the road. It is a local derby, <laughs> but derby, if it, it feels like a derby when you yeah, play against yeah. Rovers. It's uh, two teams that have been in, in decent form. They've got some good players. You've got the Graham Cochrane connection. You know, let's not forget. You know, Martin Starnes is the chief executive yes. at, at, at Rovers. Chris Hargreaves is in the the coaching staff at, at Rovers as well. So there's the connections there. So I mean, it's it's set up to be a uh, a very interesting game of football hopefully the weather's kinder to us than it was at Fleetwood on Saturday and you've got a decent pitch and you've got two teams that are in, in good form and hopefully go out and provide a real good spectacle for all the fans there with Maybe I'll go nicking it by a goal or <laughs> something. <Yeah. laughs> hopefully, not just nicking it, Chris. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it might be a bit tense towards yeah, the end. Oh
2: be, don't dear. Do, but, uh, don't, don't, because the game the other day was like we're on the edge of our seats. I was screaming in my earphones <laughs> at somebody who was like thinking, oh, we've just got a penalty. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I, hopefully it doesn't uh, go to the wire. Mm.
0: Well, I think the season's going to, isn't it? The way I it's think going. So. Yeah, yeah, I it's I just too so close it's, to it's it uh, been resolved earlier.
2: Yes, it's, it's, I'm looking forward to it in some ways, other ways. I'd rather be out there because I'm a horrible watcher of the football match. I hate it because there's nothing you can do about mm. it. When you're on the pitch, I was quite a calm player, under pressure, it's was not a problem because you've got something that you can do about it, but when you're sitting up where we sit with yeah. Chris and the boys, yeah. man, it's horrible. It's horrible at times. And you're looking
1: at it and it, it, it <laughs> looks a simple game. When yes. you sit in the stands, it looks, often looks a simple game. And that's for just like pub players like me and Stu sort of thing. But, but for an ex-pro who knows a bit about football, yeah. to sit and watch it sometimes. It, it looks so easy, but it can get so complicated at times, can't
2: it? It can. It, it, it's, it's a more, you know, I've always said that players under pressure react differently. And the lower league players, sometimes you can understand why they're never going to get any better than they are because of their thought process and their decision-making on any given situation. And then you've got the other players that can cope with the pressure that you think, you know, under pressure, people like Graham Carey and one or two others, they still produce moments of magic when it really matters most. And so as a player, when you're sitting there and you see, like, You know You're playing up The centre half Playing up against somebody quick And he's trying to push up And I'm thinking What are you doing Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean It really frustrates the life (laughs) out me. And I think Hang on a minute You know That's probably as good As they're going to be So I (laughs) can't really have a go But yeah It's uh it's frustrating, watching but...
0: Uh, well, I was going to say, I know Chris sits in front, or used to sit in front of mm-hmm. you in the old press box. He's still got the bruises. There <laughs> <kidding> yeah. him. <laughs> I hear I
2: him and I shout. I, I apologise now Chris.
0: <laughs> right, well, that's all we've got time for. Chris, Danny, thanks ever so much for joining us on the, thanks, on the podcast. No problem uh, we'll be back again next week. Same time next week.